Heading into the holiday season, households in the United States are dealing with extreme financial stress. With 60% of people reporting that they live paycheck to paycheck, it should come as no wonder that few people are taking the narrative of an economic recovery seriously. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for our regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. Well, Professor Wolf, holiday shopping season is underway. I want to just share with you a few figures from some recent reports that came out, consumer surveys. As of October, 60% of adults say that they're living paycheck to paycheck. That's according to a Lending Club report. And four in 10 consumers consider themselves worse off now than they were in 2022. I mean, there's a lot of ways to measure the the state of the working class, you know, the financial well-being of working people in the country. But I mean, this really says a lot, doesn't it? That 60% of people, six in 10 adults, say that they're living paycheck to paycheck. Yes, when you put that together with Federal Reserve polling that they do about what kind of a burden it would be on families if they had a sudden unexpected expense of, I believe the two benchmarks are $400 and $1,000, many of them would have to sell things that they own, furniture out of their homes or something, to cover that. They do not have cash savings even of those modest amounts, to get by. The thing that most intrigues me about this is the disconnect, the gap between leaders of the Republican and Democratic Party, normally attuned to at least some degree of where the mass of people are really sitting financially, seem utterly disconnected in a way I don't remember, you know, having been born and lived all my life here in the United States. And let me explain. I read the financial press. I do it all the time. It's part of my job. And it's full of statements by the Biden administration and therefore by the leaders of the Democratic Party that go something like this. Isn't it strange that here we have a great economy, and that's a quote, great economy, and yet people still are unhappy. 
What they mean, of course, is that the Democratic voter base is unhappy, which polls show and which statistics like those you began the program with show even more clearly. But the way the Democratic Party leaders frame this issue is not, gee, what are we going to do about this problem? But they make the problem go away because it's a big, mysterious mistake the mass of people are making. Those six in 10, and it's really a larger number because six in 10 may in fact be in trouble with paycheck to paycheck, but there are at least another two in 10 who are not very far away from living paycheck to paycheck. So the issue has become for the leaders of our country, and I might mention that many Republicans go along with this notion of a mystery, this mystery of why an actually great economy is misunderstood, misperceived, misexperienced, if one could say that, about the economy, so they think it's negative. My response is to say, you know what this shows? This shows a level of disconnect between the mentality of the people governing this country in both parties and where the country actually is. I'm reminded of my astonishment two weeks ago when I heard my classmate who got her PhD at Yale at the same time that I did, Janet Yellen, from the same teachers in the same classrooms, reading the same books and taking the same exams, when asked about the war in the Middle East, said the United States can fund and provision with weapons both the Ukrainians and the Israelis. Her phrase, her literal phrase, we can afford two wars. Now, nobody in their normal mind would say such a thing. The horror of what it implies that war is to be accepted or rejected in terms of what we can, quote, afford, as if she or anyone else can know what the costs of these two wars, neither of which is over, could possibly be. These are signs, if you will, of a society splitting not only between Republicans and Democrats or Trumpers and non-Trumpers or all the other splits we see around us, but here is another and extremely dangerous split. Leaders so out of touch with the mass of people that they misunderstand where people are and are willing to take steps that could really take the mass of people over the edge of economic conditions, not just at living paycheck to paycheck, but in that further land where the paychecks are not enough, where, as the song goes, there's way too much month at the end of the money. This is a very, very bad sign, as bad in its way as all of the others indicating a breakdown of civil society, a decline of the American empire abroad, and all the other signs that are swirling around us these days. 
Professor Wolf, I think that's really essential context that you provided there. The complete disconnect between the experience, the life circumstances of the masses of people in this country, the vast majority of people who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are struggling to make ends meet, and the the mentality, the outlook, and even you know the public statements of the elite that rules this country. Let me read a, a couple more recent figures to you. So half of consumers this holiday season plan to take on debt to pay for related expenses. That's according to a report from Ally Bank. It found that only 23% have a plan to pay that new debt off within one or two months. That is also something that's characteristic of this type of society, isn't it? That when people can't make ends meet, what do they do? Well, they go deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And that's become such a key feature of, of US capitalism. Yes, and it's across the board. That is, households who were able for a short time during the pandemic, when they got a little extra help from the government, at least many did, and they couldn't spend money on all kinds of things that they used to be able to spend money on because of the pandemic. So we had for a little while a slowing down in the amassing of debt by American households. But it has all resumed. The inflation means that the cost of living goes up. If it goes up more than your wages, which is exactly what has happened to the majority of the American working class, especially if you look over the last 10-year period, they either have to cut back their standard of living, which they have done, or they have to go into debt, which they have also done. They've done both, which is why the working class is as agitated and as angry as it is. It has partly coped with the economy by consuming less. The inflation forces you to buy less with your limited money and to go into debt over and above the debt you were already carrying. And so it's a phenomenon across the entire working class, but even worse, here are two other statistics. Corporations are carrying more debt than they ever have in the United States. After 20 years of record low interest rates, corporations used those low interest rates to borrow money to do everything they needed to do. If they didn't have enough money from selling stuff because what they had to sell wasn't very good, because Americans went abroad in record numbers over the last 20 years to buy goods from overseas, in other words, their money went abroad, you see corporations in record debt and you see the United States government in record debt, borrowing this year, for example, in excess of a trillion dollars. The whole country is living on the borrowings against the future. And as everybody who's ever borrowed knows, sooner or later, you're going to have to pay that borrowing back. And meanwhile, you're going to have to pay interest on the money you've borrowed, which means you've got an added expense in the future you didn't have in the past. You don't just have to earn money as you used to to buy the goods and services you need. You have to earn money to service the debt you've accumulated. And this squeezes people and firms and the government more and more. This is a, a situation like an explosion building 
And Americans know that. They really do have a feeling of a society falling apart around them. That's why so many have to invent a lovely past and want to go back to that past to make America great again, as if we were suddenly filled with an amnesia about the social and economic problems we had in the past. This is a country that's getting desperate about its circumstances, and what you're seeing This problem with the economics and the need of the people who run this society who have given up on solving the problem make the problem vanish by pretending it isn't there. One's really reminded of the toddler who is going for a walk with her mommy and daddy and encounters a scary dog and the little boy or girl puts their fingers in front of their eyes and can't see the dog anymore, feeling therefore safe because if you can't see it, it's not there. And having to be explained by the parents over time that you can cover your eyes but the doggy is still there. Well, you can pretend that the people are very peculiarly mistaken about the economic system they live in every day rather than face the fact that you're out of touch with their reality. Yeah, Professor Wolf, I, I want to read a, a headline from the New York Times that illustrates exactly what you're talking about that's sort of in that genre of you know elite commentary. It's titled The Great Disconnect, Why Voters Feel One Way About the Economy But Act Differently. By traditional measures, the economy is strong. Inflation has slowed significantly. Wages are increasing. Unemployment is near a half-century low. Job satisfaction is up. Yet Americans don't necessarily see it that way. Yeah, I think what you're saying is is really true. There's so many examples of it where the people who, you know, write the feature articles for the New York Times or write the speeches for Joe Biden. I mean, there is even a push, which I suppose is still going on, to make quote unquote Bidenomics like a selling point for the Biden reelection campaign. I mean, it's almost a joke at this point. It like defies satire. You know, it's also, and I choose my words carefully, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm trying to really pinpoint the issue. There is a kind of stupidity here, which I would like to explain. You know, if you want to assess whether an economy is in good shape or bad shape, whether it's great or whether it's disastrous or anything in between, well, it's like a doctor who has you visit the doctor's office and you ask the doctor the normal question, how am I doing? You know, am I okay? Could you please test me and and do the things you know how to do to give me a sense of my health, my wellness? Well, if you're a decent doctor, you know there are lots of data points, lots of bits of information you need to get. That's why you give this person who's come to you for an assessment, you give them blood tests and urine tests and stress tests, and you tap them all over and you listen to their lungs and you look in their eyes and ears, all the things we're all used to. And the doctor expects, of course, that there will be some pieces of information that, when you look at them, indicate you're quite healthy. And then then there may be some pieces of information about your body that suggest a problem, something to be 
monitored, something to be treated with a medication, and so on. But to answer the question, you look at all the information. You don't select which things. You don't do some things and not others because you know they are the good signs and you don't want to look at the bad ones. That would be incompetent healthcare. But you know what Biden and the others are doing? They're looking at a handful of statistics that they happen to know point in a good direction. Unemployment is low, no question. Inflation, while still above what we were used to for the last 25 years, is less than it was a year ago, and so on. But then there are the other data points which they peculiarly forget to mention. Inequality in America is greater than it's been in half a century. That's a staggering statistic pointing to every kind of social illness. The debt levels I spoke about five minutes ago, those are huge red flags about an economy. The continuing deficits of our government, the continuing deficits in our trading with the rest of the world, the fact that we are the largest debtor country in the world and that the second most important creditor of the United States is the People's Republic of China, that ought to be among the statistics. So are those that you started this program with, 60% living paycheck to paycheck. When you put all the data points together, all the relevant statistics, then you get what you want, which is an assessment of the goods and bads to come up with an overall view, which is what you want from your doctor about your health. When we see Bidenomics justifying itself, as you quite rightly said and quoted from the Times and elsewhere, look at the, here's three numbers, unemployment, inflation rate, and whatever the third one was, you're playing games. You're cherry-picking a few statistics because you want things to look good. But when a whole class of people, Republicans and Democrats, people in government, people in the media, even my fellow academics, join in this chorus of lopsidedly looking at a handful of carefully selected statistics, then I know something very serious is going on. Because these people are not stupid people. But the way they talk about the economy, that they know what the reality is, and it's great, and the big unwashed masses of us out here in the world living the economy are mistaken in our views, that they don't question that crazy idea, that is a qualifier for the phrase stupid. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, since we talked about Joe Biden, Bidenomics, how they're trying to sell what is a rotten situation for working people as a success, I think it's it's also relevant that we bring up what Donald Trump will be telling people, right? And what he already is telling people as the presidential election campaign heats up, which is essentially that when I was in office, things were great. 
It was the strongest economy the United States ever had. I lowered your taxes. Everyone could get a good job. And vote for me because it'll it'll go back to the good old days, right? So make America great again, sort of hearkening back to this mythic past, but also sort of hearkening back to this mythic, like, five or six years ago. Talk about that, if you would, that sort of presentation from the right wing, from the Republicans and from Trump. Well, almost everything I just went through got worse under Mr. Trump. Let's start with the government debt. The reason the government debt zoomed up into the trillions, both at the time of Mr. Trump and under Mr. Biden since, the number one cause of that was the massive tax cut that Trump achieved in December of 2017. He's right. It was an immense gift above all to rich people and corporations because they got the lion's share of the tax cut. And because we had been growing more and more unequal, the rich and the corporations who had benefited from 30 years of inequality getting worse were just given an additional subsidy by having their taxes cut. As I explained to people at the time, never did a group of corporations and rich people not need a tax cut the way they didn't need one in 2017, since the distribution of income and wealth had been redistributed over the previous 30 years in their favor. But Mr. Trump to get them to support him, cut their taxes anyway. He didn't care that it wasn't an appropriate moment for it. Not at all. He gave them that and relished the political support that he got from them. But of course, if the government is taking in vastly fewer taxes, which is what happened in 2018 and since, then it's going to have to do one of two things, cut government programs, which is what the Republicans wanted to do, or borrow more money, which is what the Democrats wanted to do. Notice, neither the Republicans nor the Democrats opposed the giving of the tax break to masses of people. That's why Mr. Biden didn't undo the tax cuts of Mr. Trump once he was elected, even though he had hinted during his campaign that he might go in that direction. He didn't. He doesn't dare offend corporations and the rich because that's his donor base now, which is why the Republicans and Democrats are so similar. Here's another thing Mr. Trump didn't do. He didn't do anything about the inequality that's getting worse every year. The relationship between the rich and the poor that relationship continued to worsen, to become more unequal right across the four years of Mr. Trump. Here's another example. Mr. Trump, like many presidents before him, promised to reverse the decline of manufacturing in the United States. The fact that more and more of the real production of goods is being done in other parts of the world, notably Asia, notably the People's Republic of China. He boasted about it. Remember, he visited factories and talked about returning manufacturing. It's not happening. It's a trivial phenomena, the little bit of trickle back. He didn't reverse this historic process. He presided right over it. 
and his big wars on China, the tariff wars, the trade wars. We are buying more from China today than we did under Mr. Trump. He didn't stop it. He didn't reverse it. He didn't solve it. He talked a big game. He didn't do hardly anything. And so the the notion that if we have another Trump, we're going to get something different, there's really no basis for that. You'd have to believe that this time, promising to do everything again, he'll do better than he did last. It's make-believe. It's as old as human history. When things start to go bad, There'll always be people who invent an idyllic past. If only we go back to that idyllic past. Join me, follow me in going backwards to where it was, because that'll be the solution to how bad it now is. Just like there are always people who will respond to a bad situation by talking about the changes we need to make. They will look forward to an altered economic system that might perform better than this one. And let's remember, the capitalist economic system we have now, that's the one we had under Trump. That's the one we had under Bush, under Clinton, under Obama. The one constant over the last 50 years as we became a more unequal society, was the capitalist economic system. And a logical person, rather than a political hustler, would be the first one to say, one of the things we ought to be talking about is this system. Do we need to change it? We never get that. Republicans and Democrats fall all over themselves to never suggest changing the system up and down the taxes, up and down the interest rates, up and down this, and but keep the system going. Which system? The one that has produced the United States as the most unequal capitalist advanced country now in the world. Extraordinary blindness to the obvious need to honestly question and debate the very system that we have been living under and that has gone and brought us to this situation. Extremely wise words, Professor Richard Wolff. We're going to have to leave it right there. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.